David just told me that tomorrow is, you said, the anniversary of the Carmen Ghia? Yes, July 15th. Released? Yep. Oh, that's crazy. 1955. 55. 1955. Wow. Uh, I was at a restaurant last night, and there was a European car, a, a British car, outside. And I thought it was an MG because I kind of watched walked past it quickly. My dad has always been interested in having a little MGB. And so I glanced at this thing and I saw, like, oh, that's an MG. It's got top down. That's really cool. It's like army green. And so we went inside to this little ice cream place. And there's, <laughs> there's like, kids everywhere. And there was some sort of a softball game or something. You know, so there were just, like, tons of kids in uniform and tons of families with those kids. And I'm, like, looking around in this place. I'm, like, which one of these people would have that car? And I'm scanning over this group of people. And there's, like, family. Family, family, dude in his 60s with windblown hair and his wife. I'm like, I bet that's the guy. (laughs) That's a fun (laughs) game. So I go over to this table. I'm like, I don't mean to bother you, but is that your MG out there? And he kind of stood up and smiled real big. And he was like, actually, it's a triumph, but I knew what you meant. And so we ended up talking about cars and, uh, you know, stuff for a while. Super nice guy. But it was the first time in <clears throat> as long as I can remember that I went up to a complete stranger and was like, hey, there's a thing that I think we might have in common. Like, mm-hmm. I'm interested <laughs> in this thing and you're interested in this thing. And let's, you know, and uh, it was a really cool conversation. I just met a new person. And he was like, yeah, here's where I live. If you ever want to drive it, just come on down. Oh, it's crazy. On the street. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll tell you what. If I see you broken down on the side of the road, I'll stop. And if you see me broken down on the side of the <laughs> That's road, funny. I'll stop. <laughs> It Triumph's never had a great reputation for mechanical excellence, as far as I know, yeah. growing up. I mean, I remember hearing people complaining about him. When I walked over, he said that uh, they were just talking about how he was worried there were all these people in this this ice cream place and in the parking lot. He was worried they'd have to go out there and start the car with everybody looking at him because it's a cool <laughs> car. And he was worried that it wouldn't start. Yeah, that's great. But anyway, that was a that was a kind of cool thing. What do you guys been up to? Mm. I've been mm. slowly getting back into life after the show. It's like a big vacuum suck because every single day you're wanted and needed for the entire day until, you know, up to 12, 13 hours in a day. And then suddenly everybody's gone and there's nobody interested in you and no one's talking about you. No one's curious to see you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know it's been a little tough for everybody to get right back into the swing of things. And even the producer texted us late last night. He's like, I miss you guys. He goes, it's been a week. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> oh, That's really sweet. Now, somebody like that, who's who's kind of at the top of the food chain when it yeah. comes to the the production crew, do they move right on to something else? Or well, him personally, they... he, he's obligated to lead the post production because he's that kind of guy. He's more of a hand. He's uh, not that type. Gotcha. He he wears a lot of hats, which is unusual in that business. Like we all wear all of our hats, like in YouTube. But Mike O'Dare, uh, who also was the creator of Duck Dynasty, he was the, the guy who steered the ship for Duck Dynasty from its inception. So Mike's got a lot of good credits. There's a few others in his belt, but that's obviously one that everybody knows. And But Mike's a cameraman, an editor, and a showrunner, and a writer. And so the entire time, Mike's like writing the show as we go. Him and Todd is his assistant. They're co-executive producers. And so together, Mike and Todd are like writing the show as we go and trying to find little story scenarios that relate back to the subject of the episodes. And uh, 
So Mike's Mike's been really good. So when everybody was deciding what they were going to do after, or just like talking about, he goes, "I'm going to be on this for for the next five months, watching you idiots all day long, every day." Uh, There's another lead person sitting in the editing booth, so together they'll do that. So he's busy with that. But everybody, you know, it's like the last three days, everybody's like on Skype calls and and Zoom calls and text mess. Everyone's like at the head buried in their phone. Everybody's looking for the next job. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, for the most part, you know, it's the TV business and production companies like usually a production company is like three people. And when they get a job, everybody's hired for that job. And then when the job's over, they all go to other jobs. So most TV production is completely fluid and freelance. Pretty much everybody, like from down to like to the PAs to the, you know, all the way up to the producers of the most important aspects of the production. Everybody's just completely independent contractors that move on to something else. And if everybody stays friends, you know, you move and like, you'll bring a pot of people with you that you enjoy working with. And if you're this type of person, you'll bring that pot of people. So like when we were kind of reminiscing about what's going on next, like, Oh, I'm going to Vegas with him and his show. And Oh, I'm going to be hanging out in LA. We got a show going on. And the cameramen are always juggling and trading contacts with who's going to be where, when. So the cameramen always have something lined up. But me getting back to normal, I, you guys know Legal Eagle, Devin Stone? I've heard you mention him. Yeah, you know, he, he's a big fan of, of all of ours. And he hmm. obviously is in the legal YouTube world, you know, the, the lawyering YouTube world. But he, when, and he and I, he contacted me through Twitter. He's got a big following. And we started talking. We actually had a phone call, and he says, I watched the three of you guys at Maker Fair many years ago. He sat in, like, the front row with us watching one of our talks. And he's a big maker. He's, he's like, a big fan of the maker community, and he's a bit of a maker himself. And so he's, he came to one of our shows in San Francisco. And he says he's always been paying attention to all of us from the side. And he wanted a big gavel just to have as a prop. And so when it got down to it, I had to deliver an advertisement attached to a video and I couldn't, I didn't have anything immediately. And I remembered he and I boot talking in February. So I reached right back to him. I said, sorry, I've been on a hiatus with this other project. He's still interested in the gavel. He said hundred percent. So I jumped right into it and I'm just waiting for approval from the ad client. And then the video will probably be out tonight or tomorrow. This nice. is uh, on a Wednesday. Yeah. So it came out really good. And I, to be honest, I was inspired by watching Jackman and Pat on the lathe. Those guys are both both very, very good on the lathe. And you know, they work together. We cut a couple of big things on the show. And one guy would be at one end of the log and the other guy would be at the other end of the log working this lathe lathe oh, projects crazy. that we did on, on a couple of the episodes. So I was inspired as soon as the show went down. I'm like, I want to do a lathe project. And I kicked around a couple of ideas. I was going to do like these kind of African-inspired tables table bases for this new bedroom we just built in the house. And uh, then it occurred to me that I remembered me and Devin were talking. So, and anyway, the video's done. I'm just waiting for approval. And I just got to hit publish. But that was, it was a lot of fun. I get, I think I got- How heavy I'm, is that thing? Uh, it's heavy. You could, it's really heavy. Like, <laughs> like Devin's like, oh, I want to like squish stuff with it. And I'm like, <laughs> it's really heavy. It's probably weighs like 80 pounds, maybe oh, 75 wow. pounds. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe like 75 pounds. Like you can't pick it up by the handle and like swing the top. It's, it's extremely heavy. Yeah. It's five large, it's four large pieces of walnut all condensed together. I was really amazed at how much walnut it took to make it. I bought five seven foot pieces, two by eight inches, 
it was all rough cut, so I ended up eliminating a lot of it, making it flat and smooth to glue together. And it mostly all got sucked up into the project, except for one piece. And walnut's very expensive. I don't know how many board feet. I didn't look at the ticket, but it was $720 worth of walnut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was really, I was really surprised. Like, it's David funny. just burns that stuff. I know. It's, <laughs> it's what we use What's for that? our fireplace. Oh, Dave, you burned that. <laughs> no, it, it, I put it in the car. Taylor was with me. We went to Ghent Wood Products in in uh, Columbia County, New York. It's a great, great place. They got like six, seven buildings full of all different types of lumber. They have like slabs. They have dimensional. They have rough cut, and. We put it in the car, and, and I said to Taylor, I go, this is going to probably be $700. I said, I hope it's $500. I said, but it's probably going to be $700. <laughs> it was $720. I was really wow. blown away. So that's okay. good. So I'm excited about that. And then uh, we're going to take a couple, I'm going to take a couple of days off. I think I'm going to stretch my video schedule out every two weeks now, unless I have an easy video to make. I think my next video after that is me introducing my backhoe that I bought. I've been doing some repairs on it, so that's an easy video. It's already in the chamber. I'm waiting to do a couple of more things, so I've already been editing it. I typically do that. I'll, I'll collect footage, and if I have a, a break in the action or I can't sleep one night, for instance, I'll just go and I'll just put that timeline together, and that video will live partially made on my computer until I get to the next section. So when I jump back in, it's already ready to go. So my backhoe video will probably be up. Probably shortly after this, I just have to do a couple more things. So I'll do that within the week. But more than likely, I'm going to spread out every two weeks just because I'm on this like I'm on this hamster wheel and I'm delivering videos that I'm not extremely proud of or just because of obligation. So, And that's really just because I've been just so spread so thin with the show. So going forward, I'll probably not be too hard on my weekly schedule. So yeah. I'm going to just relax it a little bit going, especially since Taylor and I might travel in, in August. Oh, did I tell you guys I bought, you guys know Oregon Trailers? Mm-hmm. You did mention that you yeah. got one. We bought, yeah. yeah. So that's coming here, and it's coming, it's on its way here. Or My Oregon Trailer, my teardrop trailer. It's exciting. Oh, and then I just brought my really cool. my trailer project I just put into the side, the big barn. So I'm going to be jamming on that. That's definitely going to be happening in the background from now until the fall. So I'm excited. I just put that on Instagram yesterday. Have you have you talked publicly about the the other thing that you bought yet? Do you want to do that? Here? I can, yeah, I can. I talked. I joked about it uh, on on the the. I'm getting a hearse. <laughs> I'm getting a hearse. I'm getting a hearse. This is like, this is car month here on making it. Uh, <laughs> I Andrew. Andrew, my my buddy who collects antique tools, is the Fits All podcast mate. He was at a pick in Colorado, which is like, he had like first right of refusal to this guy's collection who had passed away. And while he was there, he said, the guy is got this morbid collection of like morbid stuff, like hearses and slab tables from autopsy rooms and stuff. And I said, I go, does he have any hearses ever since Harold and Maud, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted a cool old hearse from really from the forties. But he said the best one he's got here is the one from the 1950s. He had forties and even older ones, but they were all in various states of restoration. And he, this 1957 hearse, it's in incredible condition. It's like, looks like it was just used yesterday, never been restored. It's an original condition from the moment it was taken out of commission. You know, like, I guess, 
he, hearses seem to get like a little dated and when they get dated, they just get put in a, they get put in a, they get sold or they get, you know, sent to put in a third world country. Yeah, yeah. They just get put on, what's that? A, a hearse cemetery. Oh yeah. They get put in the hearse cemetery. <laughs> and anyway, this is a, it's a 1957 superior hearse, but it's also a hearse ambulance. It's called a dually. This is what the guy who I've been dealing with on it, he says it's a dually. It's got a, a light right on the top, like a little dome light, like a ambulance light right in the middle on the top, just like the Ecto-1. It's dark gray. It's not black. It's dark gray, and it's got a white interior. And it is an incredible-looking slice of 1950s. Hmm. And it'll be here probably in about three weeks. And go ahead and say publicly that you are not going to be turning it into a Ecto One. Yeah, you know that's going to come up. Like, oh yeah, and I'm not even joking. Yeah, when you have that car and you show that off, that is the comment you are going to get. It already looks so like much. It. it already looks like yeah. it because it has a dome light on it. It was it was like a city morgue truck, or like a it was like an ambulance morgue truck. It was like probably I don't know maybe somebody ordered it specifically for some small town. So it. it I have no idea what the history of it. Actually, Jeff, the guy who's going to deliver it for me from Colorado, says he knows all about it. So he's going to educate me on it when he gets here. We've been just texting back and forth. He's handling this gentleman's estate. So he's been super busy with several different transactions, including selling Andrew and everybody. Um, It's coming. It's going to be here. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with it. It's just a weird collector purchase. And I was like, might as well get it. We're anticipating, um, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen for season two? So when it came up during the, the shoot, I was joking and showing it to the producers. Like, should I buy this? Like, oh my God, absolutely. We'll figure out something to use for season two. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely use that. I'm like, okay. So who knows if that's even going to happen. But at the meantime, I'm going to have this wacky car. And there's a car show coming up in town here October, like October 20 something in uh, the Blackthorn where we hold the maker camp. This, they always have different events. So their rat rod car show. So I might be able to bring it there. I might have it in time to flex and show everybody my cool old purse <laughs> that doesn't need to be restored. That is in close to perfect condition for a car that age. It's not showroom condition. It's used, but it's got 27,000 miles on it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It looks like something you'd see in Cuba. You like it. Like it's in really good condition. But still being used. You know, this looks yeah. like. So I'm cool. excited. Yeah, and now, now be- since I committed to buying that, I actually paid for it over line. I keep looking at it. I'm like, no, 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 I can't buy that. Oh, no, 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 you got, you got a hearse coming. No, no, no. You can't, no, you can't buy that. You got a hearse coming. No, you can't buy that. You, got, you don't have room. I keep, this is the conversation I'm having with myself every night. Looking on Facebook market. Oh, and by the way, I could also say this too. Uh, I might have said this on the after show last week. I kind of have this habit. If I take in something really big, I got to get rid of something big. It's you know, sort of like the the hoarder in me tries to at least be somewhat tempered. I gave away the Cadillac, the Cadillac that I took in last year to try and fix up. I just looked at it and I realized it was too much of a project. I gave it to my friend Mike, who's going to get it running. I said, if you get it running and in better condition than I'm able to get it, I said maybe I'll buy it back from you. But I literally gave it to him, and he's going to he wants he's real excited to work on it. So I gave it to a, a local friend of mine here. In East Durham. That's cool. So I don't have that project anymore. <laughs> and you got to look around you one day and you got to look around and say, like, what am I really going to get done? What can I really yeah. possibly do with the amount of time I'm using? 
And I just looked at that as like, you know what, that's not high on my priority list because I have so many other things I'd rather be doing. Well, I think like sometimes you start something and you think like this is going to be the one that sounds really interesting. And then a, something more interesting just comes along. Mm-hmm. You can't do it all. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's cool that you found somebody else that was interested in taking it over. Well, it's funny, though, is when I gave it away, like Patrick and Taylor and a couple of people like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) That must have been so hard. Oh, my God, it's so hard to give. I'm so so proud of you. You really, you really. Wow, you're really getting better. I'm like, wow, they really must have I'm a lot really of proud com- of you too, Jimmy. <laughs> a lot of conversations behind my back. Like, oh my God, he got to see the car again. We, yeah, wait till you hear. We've been talking and we're all really proud of yeah. you. Like, wait a second. What? <laughs> but meanwhile, I show everybody the hearse. They're like, oh my God, you got to get that. I'm like, really? Like, I'm waiting for someone to go, what the are you going to do with that? What's wrong with you? What are you going to do with that? Nobody said that. Everybody, even you two guys, I showed it to you. You're like, oh my God, are you getting that? Like, everyone's like, you got to get it. <laughs> nobody's like you know what what are you really going to do with a hearse i mean you look like a weirdo in town no one's going to come near you not one person do you really want us to be that person for you i don't think you do no i don't really want that person but i mean i expected it from like eight people and nobody did it yeah so that's funny (laughs) well david have you bought a hearse lately no 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 new vehicles for me or any no big purchases so I'm out of room, so I don't, I don't, uh, I would have to get rid of something else to bring in something new. So, uh, a week ago, I did a, a house tour video and we toured all the things in my house that I've made over the last 10 years. And in the kitchen, I, I talk about my cutting board book and it's got 15 different cutting board projects. And then I show the cutting board that I actually use, which is just a square piece of walnut with like no decoration, nothing fancy. And a couple of days later, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. I teach people how to make 15 fancy cutting boards and I'm not using one. So this week, I we made a, a end grain cutting board out of scraps. So it's this chaotic pattern. Uh, and I think the video is coming out today. Today is Wednesday. So by the time you hear this, it should be out. And it's like ridiculously thick. It's over three inches thick, like tall. Yeah. Um, and, And it's a perfect circle. And it looks awesome. It just looks so cool. I think it being ridiculously thick really calls for your attention and just makes you wonder like why are you so big and you want to touch it and it's so heavy it's like a it's like a massive gavel um, nope. hmm. yeah yeah you could you can you and jimmy could have worked on that together yeah. you could have had the pad that gets hit with his judge's hammer <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, uh, that's a reference to parkson or parkson <laughs> So that's uh, that's the the video that's coming out later today. And then Dan and I finally took the thirty uh, year old Kodak camera. I found one in at a Goodwill, still in the packaging. It's just like a little instant camera, and it had a roll of film in there. And the expiration date was nineteen ninety. And we loaded it up, went downtown, took a bunch of photos, and then developed it. And they came out. They look yeah, that's cool. Aw- they look awesome. They, when uh, we developed a film, film is normally has that that orange tint to it. This was just a dark green. So when I started to pull it off the reel, I'm like, hmm. 
oh, we just wasted a whole day. Nothing came out. But then you hold it up to the light. I'm like, oh, I can see images. So it was like this. Oh, that's nice. cool. Oh, we didn't waste a whole day. Um, so there's a, a, a weird color shift. It's super grainy and it's super awesome. And I was so happy with the results that I ordered m- more 1990s expired film off of eBay last night because <laughs> it just wow. has such a cool look to it. So I want to do more with that. That was going to be my question. Like, how do you go find old expired films? Tons but I guess on eBay. eBay makes sense. Tons, yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't know why there's so much, and it's not that expensive. I paid thirty six dollars for four rolls of thirty six film, so you know, t- twenty five cents a shot if you if you break that down. So, um, yeah, there's just tons of expired film, and so now I'm. Um, I also got a couple of disposable cameras where I'm going to drill holes into the back so I can allow light leaks in there and try to play with different things. So I'm trying to just have fun with this, this new hobby of mine. How are you developing yeah. the film? I know you talked a little, you're developing full color film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we shot two videos. We shot one video yesterday of, of me taking this package, opening it up and shooting it. And then we shot another video of how to develop color film at home. It's basically, you can get a kit now and, um, with modern chemistry, this is the C41 process for anybody who's curious. Um, it's just three chemicals. There's a developer, a Blix, and a stabilizer. And I'm doing everything in a darkroom bag, so I don't even have a darkroom. Right. And, yeah, so I'm just, it's it's a pretty simple process now. And I think it, I'm not, I've never developed color film before. Tons of black and white, but never color. And I think it was a little bit more complicated in the past. But maybe modern chemistry be, yeah. makes it easy. Yeah. And then will you make the prints too, or are you going to just scan them and drum scan I, them or something? I don't have an enlarger, so right now I'm using my DSLR and a macro lens and taking a photo of the oh. negative with backlit. Oh, nice. I'm also thinking about getting a dedicated film scanner, and then doing a video on like different ways to scan your film. Yeah. And then um, I will actually just print out. I have a I have a pretty nice Epson color printer that i can use sure. to, to print prints i remember when i was at sva we would uh when we would shoot either slide film or negative film and we'd have to go we'd have to book time at the the negative scanner mm-hmm. we oh. slip a strip of film in mm-hmm. we'd have to book time you know they only had one of them and it was like it was like 500 dollars. Mm. yeah it was a lot of money in the 90s <laughs> yeah in the, in the 80s i should say it was the 80s and uh yeah, you could stick a slide in or a, sh- or a s- s- piece of film. Hmm. Yeah, that, no, I that was actually right after the night. That was like when I was doing. Uh, I was taking. I after I left school in 1990, I graduated school. I would go back for night classes all the time. So that was like a a, a continuing ed class I took like in the early 90s of doing photography. I went. I used to work for a newspaper, and when. I was the darkroom technician, and this was like right before like the digital re- revolution. And um, I would develop the film, all black and white, and then I would scan the negatives. And we had this Nikon film scanner, and you put your film in this little uh, carriage, and then you stick it in this this little box, and you scan one image at a time. And I'm Sounds now like reala- the same thing I used. Yeah, I'm now realizing that little box, which just looked like a little scanner, was probably thousands of dollars. Back in back in two thousand, mm. yeah, um, and I probably treated it like crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, um, let's see. I 
I'm about to leave on vacation. Ooh. So I've been trying to like get a bunch of stuff for the last week or two, trying to get a bunch of different things done. And the video that's coming out this week uh, is a in our kitchen. We had this kind of tall cabinet next to the refrigerator. It's the height of the refrigerator, but it's only about 12 inches deep or wide. It's about 32 inches deep. So it's especially deep. Um, and we ended up making a pullout pantry thing. So this whole mass is a single piece that pulls out on wheels and has some tracks along the top to keep it in line and stuff like that. And then it's got power built into it so we can have our um, vacuum cleaner and some other stuff like that inside of it. So it's charging all the time. So the kids can walk over and pull it out, get the vacuum cleaner out, vacuum the kitchen, put it back, hide it away. And it's a pretty simple cabinetry project, but it ended up being a lot more complicated than I was expecting. I, I think I went into it thinking, not complicated. There were more things to just kind of figure out on the fly. But I went into it thinking like, oh, it's, it's a box. It's going to be on drawer slides. You know, it's a cabinet just kind of on its side. But then once I built this huge thing, I realized how much heavier it was than what I was expecting. And then, uh, so I put, put it on wheels and then used the slides, but then the slides didn't actually keep it following a straight path. They just kept, kept it stuck in one place. So when you pull it all the way out, you start to get this kind of rotation. Um, and so anyway, it was interesting to kind of figure out and turned out to be a really effective use of some kind of otherwise weird space. Hmm. Did so you have to, you didn't have to put a, a sliding X with it, did you? You know what the slide? Oh, for the cable? No, well, there's a, usually when you have something that's really thin and long that pulls out of something else, to keep it stable, they put a big long X that slides. Oh. You know what I mean? Where it's pinned at the top yeah. and the bottom pins get to slide up and down in two little tracks that might go like 10 inch travel. So right. that keeps the door from wanting to tip forward or, you know, that, that in combination with slide rails, Haifala does a lot of, uh, that hardware where you pull out long, big things. And I installed gotcha. a lot of Haifala hardware over the years. Yeah. No, I didn't have to do that. I put it on two, um, non-marking casters and they're, they're big casters. So their contact with the ground is probably like an inch and a half mm -hmm. and two of those in line, um, and you know, so that wants to keep the bottom plus the weight of the entire thing. So the whole thing like same. literally rolls on the floor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking so, of what's like kind of suspended inside of a box. That's, that's what you would Yeah. I started exit. down that path, but the box itself is just too heavy. Like, yeah. it, it just didn't make sense. And so I tried slides on the back side of it. Um, but only being on one side that kind of stopped it from, or didn't stop it from wanting to like weave like an S as you're trying to pull it out. So I ended up taking those off and putting slides on the top of it within the cabinet. So there's two slides up there that kind of keep it in line. And then the weight of the whole thing keeps it on the wheels and that helps it travel straight. So, so far we have not had it try to move, try to turn at all coming in and out. And I think, you know, the handle placement had a lot to do with that too. Centering the handle kind of forces you to pull from the center vertically and horizontally of the whole thing that helps keep it in line and stuff. So, but it's, it's one of those things that I think may not be super applicable to everybody, but anybody that has a weird space like that, a little cabinet that just, you know, like we were afraid we, it's, it was so deep, but so narrow that we were just going to end up putting things in there and they would fall behind other things. And we'd have this kind of wasted little mm -hmm. place. Nice. And so now it's, not wasted and that's cool 
Um, I also finally, <laughs> I got this email from, uh, I think I talked about the countertops before, how I ordered them from one place and then they got an installer to come out and measure. And then the installer gets material from a supplier. And I still don't have the countertops, but I've been talking to the installer this whole time, the middle of that chain. And they've been really apologetic and they just don't have the material, whatever. I finally got a phone call from the company that makes the material. And this guy left me a message just saying, it's our fault. Don't blame anybody else. We're sorry you don't have it yet. It's it's an admin issue on our end and it's not the installer. And I think he was just trying to like <laughs> save face for their installers or something. I don't know. But so it was kind of interesting to get hmm. a call from the manufacturer directly um, and, and an apology. But it was weird because at the end of the voicemail, it wasn't like, okay, and they'll be here on this date or we've canceled your order. It was just like, sorry, it's not there. Bye. That's because somebody in the company's like, do you know who this is going to? Yeah, He's right. He's got five yeah, right. million subscribers. Like, yeah, oh my God, right. get him on the phone. That's exactly what happened. I know I'm joking, but that's exactly what happened. No. Like, oh my God, he's got a Twitter account. You better get on the phone with him right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He has two followers on Twitter. He's going to call us out. No. Um, that's exactly No, but happened. so I finally got that call. And then from, from that, ended up having a bigger conversation with the installers. And they said they have now been guaranteed that they will have the material on a certain date. And so beginning of, and we're about to leave on a trip. So beginning of August, we have a date for countertops. Now. Mm-hmm. caveat is that we've had two other dates for countertops <laughs> but now so really now it. they've seen but, the subscriber count that's the difference and bob's oh, yeah. always walking around saying don't you know who i am <laughs> anyway so you. We, well you gotta do that every <laughs> once in a while you gotta flex a little bit be like maybe yeah. i'll do a review on my youtube channel oh you have a youtube channel yeah <laughs> how many subscribers <laughs> you got a million and a half really <laughs> interesting really <laughs> anyway but we do have so countertops think. on the way. Um, so that's that's exciting. Yeah, I think, theoretically. Sometime in the next five years, we will have countertops in our kitchen. That's what I'm going for. Um, another thing I wanted to mention earlier, uh, I didn't want to interrupt. Remember I was talking about how my lathe was having problems? So after that episode, Pat, uh, Pat Lapp sent me a message and said, I've had the same thing on mine. It was... Um, uh, what did he say? There was a gasket that was had compressed unevenly or something like that. And that was causing some, you know, off center spinning. Unfortunately, mine didn't have that. Thank you, Pat, for reaching out, though. I appreciate that. Um, mine did not have that. I did get the bearing in that I thought was the problem. Put the bearing in, put the whole thing back together. It's still doing it. <clears throat> so I think the next step will be, like you were talking about, Jimmy, getting an indicator out and trying to figure out exactly if it's the the spindle is is bent, which I can't imagine why the spindle would be bent. Because I am, like, I barely use the lathe. So it's not like I'm somebody who is really hard on a tool like that. You know, I mean, I'd, I've i turned a handful of things over the past, I don't know, five years or whatever I've had it. So it's really hard for me to believe that I would have damaged it somehow. I feel like that's why the bearing kind of made sense, because that's something that could just have gotten contaminated and gone bad. I can't think of another part on there that would do that. So I'm not sure, but I'm also fighting the urge to be like, well, it's broken. I guess I'll give it to somebody else to fix and just buy a new one. Cause that's my tendency is like, did I don't want to fix used, tools. Or did you buy it? No, 
No, it was new. It may still be under warranty. I'm not sure. Time to I've call the company and tell them about your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Do you know who I but, am? <laughs> so I'm still dealing with that, which is a drag because I still have two more pendant lights to make, and I can't make them because I don't have a lathe. <laughs> oh, man. You're having so much problems with that, that yeah, kitchen. Yeah, that kitchen. Man. I met a guy the other day, and... um the first thing he said was, oh, I've been watching your kitchen videos. We're renovating our kitchen right now, too. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, uh, and he's like, nope, we're all done. We've got our countertops and everything. Yeah. It only took us two weeks. I don't know yeah. what the problem is. Yeah. 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 Anyway. So that's that's kind of what I've been doing. Also, I've been working on the Carmen Gia a little bit. Uh, it has a gas tank now. And we made a video about that process. Nice. And so that was pretty cool to crank it up and actually have it drawing gas out of a gas tank instead of a plastic bottle. That was nice. Yeah. And I'm considering at this point, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be taking it out to the farm, putting it in the barn undercover because I don't have a place inside to work on it here at the house. So I'm going to take it out there, get it undercover so I can start taking it apart. So I'm pretty excited about that. Hmm. But that's what's up with me. I had an idea for kind of a topic last week. Um, and this may not really apply to you two. Now that I'm thinking about it so much, but we'll give it a shot. So I was thinking about um, last week I made I made a, a little table and this table is a strictly woodworking project and it's to replace a broken table that we have in our house that I like. And so it, it is a one for one. It's an improvement on what we had, but it's a one for one fix for something that, you know, we use it was there. It's not coming up with a new idea. It's not developing a new way to do a thing that other people have done. It's not anything like that. It's a, it's like making a thing to replace a thing that was broken or was old or whatever. And looking back on the videos that I've made over the years, I've done a lot of that. Replacing things that were inefficient with something that was more usable. Um, and I think that's really like that's a great way to connect with an audience because they also have things like that. Even if they're not the same things, they have things in their house. The table's too small, or the chair always creaks, or the whatever always whatever's. And so, you know, being able to go in and and replace those things, improve those things, is a great common thing between most people. Looking at my house, looking at my life now, a lot of those things have been fixed. A lot of those common problems are done here. Most of my rooms are now renovated. Like I have two closets that I haven't touched, but that's it. And so the thing that it got me thinking about is when you get to a point, and, I, and the reason I say this doesn't work necessarily apply to you two, because you two have not done as much of that same type of work. It, it does to a degree, right? But it's, you guys have always done uh, other more creative projects that stand alone as a creative project. That's not something I've done as much of. So the thing I got to thinking about here was when you get to a point in your career, in what we do, um, where you run out of the common objects, what do you do? Do you decide, well, I guess I'm done with that phase of my, you know, in general, I'm done with that phase of my career and I'm going to like make things that are more unique, more grand, more 
or more specific. I'm going to pick this one area to kind of like, now I'm going to go through fixing things. Because when I even think about the Carmagia, I'm like, well, hey, I could, I've got a Vespa that needs to be worked on. I've got an old Harley motorcycle that's in pieces that needs to be completely like everything on that. You know, I could lean really hard into learning all of that stuff, that cumulative, you know, car guy, metalwork, engine repair stuff. But like, I don't want to just do that. But it, it got me thinking about like, what do you do when you've exhausted the core of, of what you create? Do you try to force that and keep going on it? Do you switch gears? Do you, you know, how, how much does it matter that you have that thing that you relate to people with? Do you relate through something else? I don't know. Jimmy, you had your hand up. What's up? Yeah, no, no. It's, I've been really thinking about something very similar lately. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how, you know, it, it, it didn't take much to get, uh, you know, a popular video back in the day or an impressive video or just do something that was impressive. And now so many people are doing so many impressive things. You know, it's it's almost like the things that, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's like I'm becoming like irrelevant because there's so many people that do so many better things than, you know, there's so many more skilled people, you know, so I, I try and lean into what I'm good at. It's like sharing information, inspiring people. And, and it could be the reason why out of nowhere about six months ago, I was at the tailor. I'm like, let's get into pottery. You know, that could be, you know, part of, I mean, it kind of happened unconsciously. It wasn't like a very... It wasn't an action-reaction decision. I just started noticing pottery more and realizing there was much more of a chemistry to it than I ever anticipated, I ever thought. It was much more complicated as an art form. I always saw it as like this like arts and crafts thing. But I started to see more and more imagery of like really complex pottery and complex glazes. And I was like, I want to know more about it. And so now I'm on that detour of pottery. And I'm just, I'm totally in my infancy experimental stage. I've been seeing, because I've been watching a lot of videos, I've been seeing... A lot of uh, unusual, interesting things are being fed to me through the algorithm. But I'm really looking forward to diving deeper. I mean, I'm trying to make at least one or two things each week with a little bit of like a slant on how can I apply my unfair advantage to this technology. And I have a couple of things, which and I'm also Mm. anticipating doing, you know, Carolina Shoes video and a video of me, you know, promoting my coffee cup and stuff like that. That's all in in the hopper. But uh, that's why I think it's important every once in a while to just take a left turn. You know, I took a left turn over the winter and started working on that blue, the blue flatbed truck. And I, I did it when I was a kid. I knew how complicated and how disciplined it is to do call work. You really have to stay on it because you'll just have a half done project sitting around forever. Because you get to that point where you're in your mind, you're emotionally like, I got this far. Well, you know what? Let me take a break. And then you just never get back to it. And then you have a car sitting in your driveway forever that's half dismantled. In fact, I have a 77 stepside Chevy that I bought for Willie and Willie started working on it and he lost interest. So now I have to take it over and either get rid of it or fix it up because now it's a half done project. Um, And I I hate that. I hate half-done projects sitting around. I mean, I have a lot of them and they drive me crazy. That's why I'll either get rid of them, give them away, or really commit to finishing them. But uh, I think it's important as an artist to take a left turn and do something that you know nothing about and then bring bring your unfair advantage to it. So, Bob, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of house projects. You know, it might be interesting for you to develop, like, you know, an everyday carry or some kind of, you know, obviously you did the, the R2-D2, which was a great diversion from, you know, useful, 
useful furniture, yeah. product development, you know, home development, home decor. But yeah, it's, uh, that's why now I, I'm doing the porch, which is, you know, that's definitely not a video that I would like doing. I'm going to do the porch and I'm going to bring my unfair advantage to framing and people are going to think I'm crazy because of the methodology I'm going to use, but I don't do it on a daily basis. I do it. I mean, I can do it accurately, but I'm not going to do it the way like RR buildings would frame because he frames every single day, you know? So mm. I'm just thinking of how I can bring some artful, uh, conversation to the, to the, to the chat when I make that video. Yeah. I'm thinking of a couple of things that people would be really annoyed with me at, but uh, yeah, so I, it's, I think it's important. It's important to, to get off, get off of, get out of your lane. I think get, get out of your, you know, your, your, your beaten path. And, uh, like I said, I kind of fell into pottery, not for any particular reason. I wasn't thinking this rationally. I just like, Oh, you know what? Let me do that. And I'm getting a lot of nice comments from people saying, Oh, it's fun to watch you play. And, you know, it was so complicated. There wasn't any really clear crystal videos on you make this in clay you let it dry, you fire it, let it cool off, paint glaze on it, then you fire it again. Like nobody said that. Everyone just talks about pottery as if like it's completely understood how it works. Every video I found was like talking about it like from the 20 minutes into the conversation. I never felt, I never had anybody say it from the beginning. I, I was able to obviously decipher and figure it out. But no, it's, it's important. It's important to, to really just take a left turn yeah so for me i don't have any experience with like renovating a room i have zero to desire to do any of that if it comes time where we need to redo something like that i'll pay somebody else i prefer doing like individual pieces and so when it comes to those individual pieces like let's say our kitchen table i have zero attachment to the things that i make after about a week, like I'll, I'll, I'll make the thing and I'll, I'll look at it every day. And I'll be like, that is so cool. I can't believe I made that. I'm really happy with that. And then a week goes by or I'm moving on to the next project, no attachment to that thing whatsoever. So if somebody came in, stole our dining room table, <laughs> I would just be like, I'm going to make an a invitation, new one. Everybody. That's an invitation. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I would be totally happy with, um, giving those old things away and then making new ones with maybe they're bigger and grander or I have a different skill set now so I would approach it in a different way so um I don't think I'll ever hit a wall where I'm like well I guess I'm done making furniture now I have to do something else there will be always be something and I always feel like I'm picking up all these other little skills to add to the woodworking because I'm working towards something bigger. And I don't know what that bigger thing is yet, but maybe somehow I'm incorporating metalworking and woodworking uh, and screen printing and photography and all these other things. And somehow this is all going to combine into this thing that I'll be into five years from now. And it'll be super unique and, and me. So I feel like I'm working towards something bigger. Well, I, I talk about, uh, you know, just spreading yourself into various different disciplines. When we did the TV show every week, I mean, we kind of had a vague idea what we were doing. The producers kind of wanted us to each have a, a fresh look at the projects. We knew 
on a grand scale what the subject of the episode will be, but the details that came out when we had the uh, you know the beginnings of each episode and oh you want us to make a this that does that oh interesting okay in three days and now all of a sudden you start tapping into all these resources that were either dormant or you know you didn't you didn't think you could do or you're like I kind of saw a YouTube video on that but I mean I guess I could figure it out if I could do this I could do that you know so it was a great exercise and that's why a lot of times I I like when friends call me and, and I don't want to make this as an open, an open pitch, but a lot of times people will email me and say, Hey, can you make me of this? And I'm like, you know what? I never made of this. I never made an enclosed trailer. Let me try it. You know, let me see it. Cause it's not something I would comfortably think of on my own because I'm kind of stuck in a rut where I'm always going to just gravitate towards something that I know I can do quick and easy and, 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 you know, make something that's comfortable. So it's nice when you get, approached by, you know, a TV production crew or, or a fan or a friend or a client that's like, Hey, can you do this? I remember years ago, a client said to me, can you do all these Corian cabinets we've designed for a client? And I was like, I've never done Corian. He goes, it's easy. It's just like wood. He goes, but it's a little bit more complicated. I was like, okay. And that was, that was the pitch. And so I made all the stuff out of Corian and I, I still have remnants of Corian around super high dense plastic and you know it's really amazing stuff a lot of us see and see it now you could see and see it it really cuts well you can make print plates out of it and stuff but <clears throat> i remember the architect was like if you could do that you could do this i was like okay if you're willing to like be patient with me he's like yeah 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 and we made all this incredibly cool stuff so it's important to challenge yourself yeah i definitely agree with that and i i think i've not been focused on any particular thing for so long that that's an easy shift to make, like adding new experiments and stuff to the video pantheon is easy. I think it's more like I'm trying to figure out, and this isn't necessarily a worry for me. It's just something that I thought about in relation to last week's project that I was working on. Um, you know, how do you, how do I continue to keep, um, I see a divergent path, right? So you're going down this path with somebody and you're like, you're kind of into the same things and you're kind of like, you're, you're bringing them along for the, you're guiding them down this path. And then you get to a place where you go, like, I could go up this really steep mountain and I can drag you with me kicking and screaming and teach you how to climb, or I can continue to walk on this path with you, even though I'm going to be bored and I'm not going to be as challenged I'm going to continue to make things that I know you're comfortable with and whatever. So I, f I feel like there might be something like that. It's not necessarily the object. It's not the woodworking versus X. It's not that. It's like I can continue to do accessible, you know, mm -hmm. stuff that everybody can be on board with and like, you know, everybody's There's comfortable or I can like go off the deep end and half the people are going to be like, I don't want to go off that deep end with you. Or I don't want to, I don't, that's not an experiment I care about. Or that's not a, you know, a level of upgrade or a whatever that I want to go along with, which that's just part of it. I guess I just started thinking about all those different mm -hmm. scenarios, you know, and what they might look like. I, I think, you know, you, you, you mentioned being bored and that's really important. Like, I'm a different maker than I was five Ten years ago, and so is everybody else. There are some channels that will stick with beginning woodworking, for instance. And I, I feel like they don't 
I, I, I feel like I, if I was in that position and I kept, just kept making beginning woodworking videos for the rest of my life, I feel like I wouldn't grow and I wouldn't learn and I would be super bored and it would feel like a job and it wouldn't feel very creative. Whether you're doing it for fun or whether you're doing it for work, you always want to be inspired and, and not bored. So I feel like Maybe I'm going to do these things in the future that my current audience is not into, but that's going to be okay because some people are going to want to be inspired. Some people are going to want to learn the basics and there are going to be plenty of other places for those people to go to learn the basics. And then maybe I'm going to bring in a new audience while I am doing weird, crazy things. I think it's going to constantly find that inspiring. Constantly overlap, I believe, you know, and I think, for the most part, people want to see you challenge. You know, you get the trolls that say, like, you changed all that stupid, silly stuff. But I think it's important that the audience see you challenge yourself, grow, change, because that's what everybody's doing. You know, look at any, like yeah. I say, I say it as an example all the time. Look at any one person 10 years ago versus today. Simply because, you know, our lives are exposed in this one particular window. There's no reason why we can't change as well. I've changed tremendously. And, you know, I think yeah. my fans have... Uh, have appreciated the change for the most part. Everybody, you know, I love it. I love the fact that I CNC and laser cut and have all these different tools in my in my magic bag now that I never had before. And obviously it's space and, you know, YouTube's afforded me all these opportunities to, you know, want to win by a $5,000 kiln and, you know, just immediately experiment with stuff like that. I, I, I love it. I completely welcome it. And I think people do too. I think people watching do too. Yeah, I, I think uh, you make a good point, David, that like there's a I've, I've looked at audience for a long time and you, you don't necessarily have to apply this to YouTube. You could apply this to audience being the people that you interact with on a daily basis or whatever. But you could have this mentality of like, I am a place in the path and people pass through me and I'm going to help them when they're here and I'm going to teach them this X as they pass through or. I'm going to be the person or a, I'm going to be a path, right? I'm going to be the thing that is moving forward in a direction or in multiple directions or whatever. And I want people to come with me along that thing. Those aren't necessarily the same groups of people, you know? Um, and that's okay because I think what you're saying is there's plenty of audience <laughs> for everything. Like mm-hmm. there's everything that somebody wants to know, there is a creator for them. And everything that somebody wants to create, there is an audience audience for that, I think. Maybe that's me being optimistic, but I think that's true. And so I guess it's really about just kind of deciding when you want to be what. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we all start out at a beginning level and then we end up not being at a beginning level or we decide to stay at that beginning level and help people who are also at that beginning level. So I think there's a lot there. I, you, I It's funny. What? I was going to say, you in the past have brought up the, the term expectations a lot. Yeah. And you're... My expectations is going to is probably different than my audience expectations, and and sometimes that overlaps and sometimes it doesn't. But it's and I don't even like talking about future projects anymore because I don't want to set expectations. I don't want to say, "Hey guys, a year from now I'm going to be doing a lot less woodworking," because then then there's this people are like, "Well, I'm going to be out of here now," and so. Uh, I have my own expectations that I don't, I don't won't tell anybody, but I do, I, I think I'm going to be on a different path 
a year from now. Like I am going to, I, I want to be more creative. I want to think bigger and my expectations are definitely different than maybe my average YouTube viewer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably very common. Should be anyway. I mean, if the, uh, kind of faceless mass of any audience, you know, and you're talking about like hundreds of thousands of people or whatever, you, you got to say it's kind of faceless because it's a huge mass of different types of people. If that mass can expect where a person is going to be in a year, then that person is not doing very much new stuff. That's <laughs> you know? a good way to put it. Like yeah. that, that's, that's a little scary to me. If that number of people could predict what I'm going to be doing in a year, then I am doing the exact same thing in a year that I'm doing right now. And that's only, <laughs> that's the only way that works. Um, you were talking about, you know, making things and not caring about the object. We had an episode of no instructions of Josh and I talk about life and stuff last week. And <clears throat> I said almost the exact same thing that you said. It's kind of weird actually, because I was talking about how I make a thing. And then as soon as I'm done making the thing, I'm just like, okay, here you go. It's off. And I, and I said, somebody could steal this thing and I wouldn't (laughs) even notice. Um, but it was weird. I went back to listen to that episode yesterday. I was running and it came on my podcast player. And so I listened to part of it again. And it was, it was strange to listen to myself talk about that exact same thing in a different context about just how, when an object is done being created, I don't really care about the object so much anymore. Like I'm not attached to it. And usually I'll make stuff because it has a purpose. And so that if the purpose is continued by that thing existing, then great. If, you know, this table that I, I built, I'm going to use the table. So that's cool because then I'll have a table to use. But the props that I've made, the things that I like for what they are going to become when they're done and they don't get used... I don't really care that they exist. And that says a lot to me about what I value in, in process and in path and to getting to something and figuring something out. That's the thing that I'm really drawn to. And that part of creation uh, will always happen. So whether it's, you know, figuring out how to make a new towel rack or figuring out how to make a car from other parts of a car, like the problem solving, the path to get to the thing, the figuring out the, the search is still there. And so I'm not worried about like running out of ideas. I'm not worried about, um, you know, you know, falling out of love with a certain type of thing because I think the process is the thing that I'm in love with and the Mm -hmm. thing that I want to continue on. I think it's figuring out how to always keep, um, that process and that interest for the process applicable to other people to keep that as a connection point with an audience. And that's, that's what I've been thinking through a lot. And I guess that's just something you just have to constantly do constantly like reevaluate how you communicate with people and how you, you know, uh, keep things interesting for people watching, whether they're into the thing you're doing or not. So anyway, that's the type of stuff I've been thinking about Hmm. lately. In a book I read recently, uh, I think it's called Make Great Work, uh, he talks about if you are creating something and it doesn't cause a reaction, then you are going down the wrong path. You should be getting, if, if people don't act to, in a negative way to what you're doing, you might be too comfortable with what you're doing. 
Yeah, a lot of people say if you know nobody's, mm. if no one's mad at you, you're doing it wrong. I don't know if I agree mm. with that 100, percent but you do, you do want to be yourself. I think you really yeah, need I, to kind of. I wholly disagree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is a well, whatever. I, I disagree. I'm not going to tell anybody else that they need to disagree with it. I feel like that's an extremely cynical way to look at creation. Hmm. That's a shame me that that's something that is perpetuated and i know that is i know that's that's like the way a lot of people look at whatever they create like they want to start conversation and that means that means causing inflammation of some sort right and i get that i guess it's not me and it's not how i do things but when you look at creating something if you're creating something only to get a rise a negative reaction from people like i don't think it's i think like let's say uh you're writing a song and it sounds like every other pop song like, are you really pushing yourself to be more creative? You know, you have to, every time the Beatles released a new record, it sounded completely different than the previous record because they were pushing themselves, not to get a negative reaction, but to push themselves further and to push their craft into a new path. I think mm-hmm. that's what it's more about. Yeah, I agree with that to a point, but but at the same time, like, nobody starts their writing their first song Um by writing something that is completely original. Right. Nobody does, right? You start writing a song because you heard another song and you're like, oh, that's a really great feeling that I get from that thing. I want to try to recreate that. And of course, you're going to recreate it exactly the same. It's going to sound like a Nirvana song the first time you write a guitar (laughs) song. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be new, but it's relative to you not having written a song. That's a huge step. And I think that when I mean, mean there's a cynical thing to that, it's that. It's like we can skip over the fact that you've gone from nothing to something because it's not something new doesn't make it you know, like bad, doesn't make it less, doesn't make it I don't know. I get the I get the impetus for that <laughs> statement, but I just I disagree. So But whatever, you know, doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's kind of the point. It's like everybody should create this. Someone thing just got mad at you like for saying that, Bob, so I'm sure they did. So, yeah, maybe I just, yeah, I made my own point moot. You dug yourself. Uh, you dug yeah. your own hole. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, I think it's a good conversation to have, personally. Um, you guys got anything else before we wrap up the show? Well, big thanks to our Patreon supporters, as always. We are really grateful for them. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pre-shout out somebody this week that hasn't mike wagner what's up mike i don't think i've thanked mike wagner for a while he's one of our patrons and we are grateful for him and everybody else um we've got a big list of top supporters i always want to call them out and say thank you to Corey ward albers woodworks works by solo chad from Mancrafting. you can make this too fun kiss artistic creations blondie hacks bless you thank you anthony <laughs> just sneezed in the background rich at lowen designs Corey from make shape create and odin leather goods um, big thanks to them and everybody else for their support of the show. Uh, we won't have a show next week. Don't be afraid. It's scheduled time off. Um, but we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back very soon. Maybe we can record an hour of Jimmy just crying. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> big thanks to everybody at Patreon. And if you want to join that crew and get the after show, Go to patreon.com slash making it. We would appreciate it very much. <laughs> Do you guys have anything cool to recommend this week? I might. <laughs> there is a YouTube channel 
that uh, I recently came across last week called Bright Sun Films. And uh, I think with all the photography videos that I've been watching, it suggested this like history of Kodak. Uh, and they, and I watched the video and I'm like, that was pretty good. And I'm like, oh, they have a history of Kmart. That's, oh, because I worked at Kmart for eight years. Mm. So like I watched that. So this guy, he has a couple different series. One is called Abandon and, or another one's called Bankrupt. And just basically talks about like all of these brands that had, that were huge and had a big place in our lives and how they are not here anymore. And it's it's done really well. He it's it's narrated really well, and when he also shows like the insides of like abandoned Kmart's and stuff, but that's not the purpose of the videos. But it looks like he goes in and gets some footage for his videos, and I'll I'll see these old Kmart's, and I've worked at a couple of them, and I'm like the one I worked that could be the one I worked at. It is set up the exact same way, and um, I don't know just. When you see all these old brands from your from your childhood, it gives you the feels. So it's a really good channel. Mm. Nice, cool. What you got, Jimmy? Uh, I started watching Florian Gadsby. F L O R I A N G A D S B Y. He's a British potter, and he shows very highly detailed process videos about making pottery. And he's been a big education to me. So. If anybody's into pottery now, like I am, go check it out. Cool. I'll have to do that. Um, I've been watching, I don't know how many people know about this, but Jocko has a second channel. In Italiano. In Italiano. And it's all Italians, more of like a vlog channel about their company and about like all the stuff that they do. It's a different, totally different pace in... Um, it's it's just a different thing than their main videos, which they don't do a whole lot of anymore. Um, it's good for me because I've been trying to learn Italian for a few years, and it's one of those watching somebody I know is is helpful, keeps me interested in it. But then listening to conversational Italian uh, at a like a breakneck speed is really difficult, but it helps with like, oh, I picked out that word and I got like two words from this sentence and I can kind of contextually put together what they're talking about. So it's practice for me. I've also been listening to Italian podcasts lately, trying to get a little bit more immersion is the wrong word, but, you know, trying to get more immersion because I just don't have anybody to talk to uh, in Italian. Um, So that channel has been really cool, but it's also just cool to see what they're doing. They're constantly doing stuff like they are building all sorts of crazy things and uh, preparing sets and they have interviews with people and all this type of stuff. So I'll put a link to that. Go check out his other channel. It's just called Jocko instead of Jocko, whatever. So um, you guys got anything else for this week? Mm, that might be it. That might be it. Cool. Well, thanks for listening everybody. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Later. Oh, you're muted. muted. They didn't hear you say you're... Have fun, guys. Love you. That's what I said.